Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Diane Kazer. Diane recently had me on her non-toxic beauty summit, and I felt like she had so much great information to share, especially about her own journey with breast implant illness. Diane is a pro soccer player turned functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, courage coach, and holistic beauty expert. Diane has been through many health struggles with empathy and fierce leadership. She's your go-to girl to break through anything, no matter what you've tried or what you've been told. She's the author of Killer Breasts, a step-by-step guide to overcoming breast implant illness, producer of the Non-Toxic Beauty Summit, and creator of Cleanse, Heal, Ignite, a program which helps women discover their inner healer by providing them lifelong tools to reverse autoimmune disease, breast implant illness, hormonal imbalances, chronic pain, gut infections, emotional trauma, and perfectionism. Her mission is to educate and empower irrationally passionate women leaders with safer beauty, body, and breast solutions from products and procedures to diet and detox so they can age gracefully and holistically with the energy and vitality they need to step into their power, speak their voice, and spark their purpose. I really hope you enjoy my conversation today with Diane. Welcome, Diane. I'm so looking forward to this interview today. Thanks for having me, Christine. Absolutely. And, you know, we just recently met our paths crossed as I'm so excited for your upcoming summit, the Non-Toxic Beauty Summit. And many of my audience already knows I have an organic med spa in Seattle and I just created a skincare line and how this has just been such a passionate topic for me for so many years. And so it was just really fun to collaborate and share, you know, what I know and also um, for me to share your summit with our audience, because this is just such an evolving field, right? There's so many people nowadays increasing their awareness of really what not non-toxic beauty is. So I'm, I'm really excited to share this today. Yeah. And you know, when we did our interview, I thought to myself, can I just get in an airplane and fly to go see you for like a week and just play with the toys that you're talking about. It was so fun. Oh, no, I know. I felt like we could talk all day and there was just so much synergy there. And I'm excited, you know, for all the people that you've interviewed in your summit. And I guess while while we dive in, what inspired you to do this summit on non-toxic beauty? Hmm. That's the question. It was, it was a part of me that, that felt like it was my duty to share with the women the amount of suffering that I went through in, in the name of beauty and an attempt to be more beautiful an attempt to win. And, and I'll explain what I mean by win and you know, throughout my journey, it is a part of me that felt like this obligation to speak to my 13 year old inner self and my 16 year old inner self and my 21 year old inner self, you know, those, those times where we look back in our lives and we, and we think, gosh, I really wish I would have had a mentor or somebody that, that educated me on these things or empowered me with these things. And and I didn't know better. And of course we're always doing our best, but the amount of guilt I felt even just as a health practitioner, you know, in these, you start to hear the shame that we're, that we're inflicting upon ourselves when we hear the word should come up in our head and you're like, you should have known better and you should have done it this way. And I was shooting all over myself with <laughs> the journey that I that I went through thinking I'm a health practitioner and I have all of these crazy symptoms and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. You know, I love to run advanced labs like you do and I love geeking out talking to other women like you who do a deep dive a deep dive health detective um type of work to see what's really going on beneath the surface and not just looking at blood and not, you know, blood testing and not just applying things to the area, um, that may have issues like, Oh, you have a rash here. Just like apply some cream right there. Well, something else is happening coming from a different part within you. And let's explore that. Let's, let's listen to the body and ask the body what's going on. And when I was asking my body what's going on, I didn't have answers for myself. And the journey really began about four years ago when I had the worst rashes I had ever experienced And I was itching so bad that it woke me up in the middle of the night. I was itching until I bled. I felt like I literally wanted to itch and pull my eyes out of their socket because they itched so bad. They were so swollen, inflamed, and red, and peeling. And there was nothing that I could do. Even prednisone barely touched it. So when I went through that amount of suffering, and even the health experts and practitioners and all the research that I did online to try to figure out 
what was at the root of this, I still kept turning up blind to pun intended because my eyes were also so foggy Mm. with, I didn't know what. And I thought, how is it that I'm suffering this bad and I can't find answers. And that for me was one of the most lonely experiences and times in my life. And I was at the point where I was just about ready to give up and looking back, it was bad beauty products it was Botox and it was breast implants. And now I want the whole world to know that these are things that have not been well-researched and have been uh, conditioned into the, the, the female psyche, that these are the things that we need to do in order to feel loved and to be confident. And I just think that this whole beauty industry needs a major reform, starting with how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So much to unpack, and I, I I know your journey was only to help others, and I'm so glad that you are taking this experience and having a platform because you know when I reflect on it too, you know my a lot of my work is always you know educating people about um, keeping themselves and their family safe from environmental toxicants, right? So we're looking at the water and the food, and and people really get that, right? Um, and even though there's still a lot of room to educate, but that sinks in. But there's this whole other um, aspect, especially for women, um, about the exposures that we all go through um, in the name of beauty and how um, this starts from a very young age, right? So people, um, especially are, who are not using organic uh, products, um, it's a huge source of exposures to neurotoxins and carcinogens that we start slathering on our skin and our face, you know, from, you know, age seven, if you will. So it's it's a lifetime it could be a lifetime of exposure that has all of these health impacts. And um, no, I, I think it's just so important that we continue to get this message across. And so you named three kind of buckets here, Diane. So you said uh, bad beauty products, breast implants, and Botox. So let, let's just dive in. And how do these really, each of these um, impact your health and really translate into getting these severe skin reactions and all of the suffering. So what, what should we know about bad beauty products and how do they negatively impact your health? Yeah. So the, the summit that I did and and the book that I have coming out really covers that it's really difficult to pinpoint that it's any one specific thing. I mean, we've got, as you probably have spoken several times on your podcast and everywhere that we're surrounded by them. And there's just several tens of thousands of uh, mostly toxic chemicals in our beauty products and our cosmetics and our personal care uh, and hygienic products, including the things that we put in our babies. And, you know, Johnson Johnson had a major issue with talc and they had, you know, massive billion dollar lawsuits because of um, the ovarian cancer that it was causing. And we're seeing this turn up everywhere. You know, we're seeing it turn up. You know, Vioxx was one pharmaceutical, then it was another. Um, and now it is, um, you know, doing things like Norco and um, many different things that are now used in pharmaceutical land that have lawsuits. And so we're, what we make the assumption of is that if it's out for sale, if they're recommending it, it must be safe. And that's one of the biggest toxin toxins of all of them is the artificial belief and assumption that if it's out there, it's okay for my body. Mm-hmm. And so that also comes from and stems from this, this possible perception. So I've been working with women now as a leader for over 20 years, whether it was in financial planning or personal training or yoga teaching or nutrition and now functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and then a courage coach. Now I work with women to f- discover their confidence from within instead of, you know, thinking that they need to apply it on the outside. And so the, the belief is that I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not lovable enough. And then we feel like we need to apply these things to our face to apply a mask. Now I'm the kind of person I love. I love how makeup can illuminate our natural beauty, but let's make it clean and, and let's, let's use, um, a fair amount of it. So we don't feel like we're slathering a ton on, on top of our natural beauty that it's at the expense of our own health. And I didn't know that over the years, every time I went to go get my makeup done for photo shoots, I was spending like $250 and just coming home and had all these colors. And it was fun to me. Um, cause I'm a painter. I love to paint. But then when I started to experience, um, skin reactions, I thought, okay, it's gotta be something that I'm putting on my face. So uncovering, discovering that, 
so many things like the parabens and the phthalates and the zinc and the things that are in sunscreens and many, many different things that are included in these personal care products, triclosan, sodium lauryl sulfates, um, phthalates, uh, fragrance. There are so many things that are inside of these products that we're using and they're unknowingly causing hormonal chaos. They're causing gut dysfunction. They're causing their neurotoxins oftentimes and also obesogens and they cause cancer. And so, you know, sometimes we can get overwhelmed by all these things. We think, Oh gosh, it's just, what's the point? There's everything causes cancer nowadays is, you know, some people would, would surmise, <laughs> but we don't have to think that way because if you do clean these things up, it can make a big difference. And the interesting thing about my journey with how I started to use safer skincare, and I would say there's really, it's difficult to be toxin free with anything today. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of deceiving to say, you know, toxin free anything. Um, but we can get closer to it where it can still be negligible. So I started cleaning up my, um, my skincare routine because I was having such bad rashes because I thought originally, you know, the rashes I was getting were on my eyes. Those were the, those were the most painful and irritating. And I, there was nothing that worked until I did prednisone twice. And that's not a fun drug because it's, you know, essentially turns your immune system off. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course I had lots of side effects there, but I was also experiencing UTIs and a lot of other things. So I was on antibiotics at the same time. And this is only three years ago. So I'm a health practitioner and I'm on all these drugs thinking, gosh, this is total imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> You're like, mm -hmm. I, I can't fix myself. Looking back in time though, Christine, I'm really glad that I did all of that because there are so many toxic things included in cosmetics that we're not even aware of. There's 95% of lipsticks today have um, lead in them. And these are things that all, you know, especially pregnant women, they don't know that it can get passed down into their baby. They don't know it's that toxic formaldehyde, just so many things that are contained in these products. And um, you can clean it all up and it it's not going to uh, costs a lot of money or time. It, you know, I, I tell everybody to do it in pace. But when I did that, it was because I thought it was those products. And when I changed the products, it didn't affect my eye itching as much as I'd hoped. It did help a little bit because I started noticing like the glitters and stuff, the things that had titanium dioxide in them. Those were the things that I was reacting to. So I thought maybe that's the thing. And maybe my body just needs to calm down, you know, after I, I'm not going to use that eyeshadow anymore and I'm just going to see how my body recovers. And two weeks later, it was a little bit better, but still nowhere near close to what I had hoped, which was that I wasn't waking up in the middle of the night anymore. And what I realized through doing this summit, actually, through interviewing several of the top doctors and health experts and beauty care experts like yourself, is just how very toxic Botox is. And that is likely with the biggest thing I was reacting around that same time. And I had a triple whammy because that was also around the same time that I had my breast implants in as well. So it was like this triple whammy where I still don't know which one came first of all of them, but I can track back a lot of the symptoms to the most common ones that people experience from each one of them. Mm -hmm. And the you know, it didn't stop at just the cosmetics. I changed up my skincare. I changed up my sunscreen. Uh, I changed every single thing up because once I started doing the research, I discovered that oxybenzone is the active ingredient in sunscreens that is responsible for killing a lot of the coral in, in mm -hmm. our oceans. Mm -hmm. And I'm a scuba diver. So that hurt my soul just mm -hmm. to, to see, you know, cause I was, I was in the great barrier reef. I saw the coral and they, they were showing us how how the lack of color and how I'd been dying. And I just thought, I know, I know this deep intuitive feeling inside of me says that the condition of our home, our mother, our mother earth is a direct correlation and reflection of our human health. And if she's suffering, then we are too. And that oxybenzone is one of the primary reasons we get skin cancer come to find and research. So that's as far I, I could go, I could keep yeah. going, but that's, uh, <laughs> no, I know you're giving us so much great information and I like to land. I, I agree with the patients that I see and kind of all of the factors we know to be at the root of this. I, I do believe there's this kind of, um, 
really interconnection, right? Our bodies are a microcosm of the macrocosm. And as we, you know, heal our bodies and understand why we're sick, there's an opportunity to also change the way that we're interacting with the planet and harming the planet. And I think the sunscreen issue is such a great, um, you know, example of that. And, you know, the, it's just wild, right? When people think about um, the sun and we've kind of demonized the sun um, and thinking that it's just our enemy when the sun gives us so much um, health and vitality and, um, you know, it's just, you know, nature is wiser than <laughs> we are in a lot of ways. And so right. I think it's always, you know, of course, looking at these things from a balanced point of view. And so, um, so the non-toxic beauty summit is absolutely going to educate us on, um, beauty products. And you already, you know, named a, a number of ingredients to avoid. And I always like to, um, share with people if they look at an ingredient deck, always look for fragrance. Cause that's usually going to be, um, you know, a, a listing with a lot of ingredients that are often neurotoxic toxic, they don't have to disclose. And then most people know about parabens these days. And then I like to also just say, if you see the word peg in a product, you know, there's a petrochemically derived ingredient. And so to avoid that. So I, I start with those three, cause it's like really easy to screen the eye. And then you can of course go deeper into all these other ingredients that you shared about. Um, but it's important and just because something, um, pretends to be, organic or greenwashed, um, you still have to do your due diligence to make it a safe product with the way the industry is uh, regulated. Yes. And can I say something about the petrochemical yes, as well? Please. You know, because that is today, petrochemicals are in, <laughs> almost throw a dart at anything and you'll at a store and there'll be some sort of petrochemical in there. And I say it, cheeky, not because it's really funny. It's, it's disgusting really that we have allowed, um, petrochemicals in this many ingredients. And specifically when I think about petrochemicals, uh, the, the women I've been working with for years who've had, when they come to me, you know, with urinary tract infections and, um, bacterial vaginosis or whatever irritation that they're experiencing, candida, yeast infections, itchiness, what feels like maybe viruses, just something that doesn't feel pleasant. You know, we, we want our lady garden to be fruitful, full of life, not full of itchiness and irritation and shame. And mm -hmm. then we can't connect with our partner. And when we think about the things that we put into, and that's more personal care, but it's also not beautiful to feel that way mm -hmm. either. And, and in your day to day life. And this is just part of it. You know, these toxins are not just about the beauty care. It's also about the personal care products. And when we think about the number one most used, and it, it always depends on when I check on these stats, but 60 to 70% of um, people's primary favorite uh, sexual lubrication is KY. And KY is, has also a lot of petrochemicals in it. And this is a very big uh, irritant for uh, the, the vaginal biome. And it causes a lot of people a lot of irritation. So that's one you know, big one that's also in our most sensitive areas. And then things like even tampons and toilet paper mm -hmm. can have dioxin and you know, bleach. Mm -hmm. comes from GMO cotton. And, and sometimes, gosh, they can even have fragrance sometimes now, you know, those, I, I gotta tell you a funny story. I was at my, my, my love partner's house, um, a couple of weeks ago and he brought out one of these Febreze, haven't trained him all the way yet, Christine. <laughs> He's got some work to do. Febreze. He's learning. Oh, these things take time. And, and, and of course you know, he's like, just, why don't you just go do the shopping? And I'm like, okay. Um, but he brought out one of like the garbage bags. He was making eggs. And I was just like, what is this weird smell that I'm noticing? Because when you're super clean on the inside, you, you notice sense or you notice more things. And I think it's great to be more sensitive because some people say like, Oh, well, you can't leave your house and you have to live in a bubble. Now you're so sensitive. And I'm like, actually, that's my body telling me that it doesn't like something. It's a very intelligent. So we don't want to shame our bodies for being air quote sensitive could be a good sign. It could be a sign that there's hypervigilance happening underneath. And so he brought out the Febreze bag to put the eggshells while he's making eggs. And um, it was just a garbage bag with Febreze on it. And I don't know if you've ever smelled one of those, but it just takes up the whole house. It's just like when you walk into a department store and that fragrance just hits your face. And it's almost like that scene in the matrix where you're just slow motion, like, mm -hmm. like your face gets thrown back. And that's how I feel. I get an instant headache 
from fragrance and it's artificial fragrance, which also contains, you know, things like sodium lauryl sulfates. That's what it needs to have in it to stick to things and linger, which is also in our Tide products or, you know, whatever we're using to clean our clothes. So there's a lot of these things that are being put into also bath salts. When we take a bath, we think we're being, you know, we're, we're taking care of our bodies, but then these are also things that then touch our sensitive parts and they're filled with fragrance and the sodium lauryl sulfates and many other things that question mark, we have no idea. So they are at this point in so many places. So it can be overwhelming. But the reason I put this all together is to make it streamlined as fast as you can get from A to B without having to do all of the thousands of hours that many of us have done on YouTube and reading blogs and articles and spending your time going to doctors and hopping all over the place trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Oftentimes, it's a lot of these insidious chemicals that make their way into our brains, into our babies, into our bodies and our beautiful um, our organs. And they end up sometimes paralyzing them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, so much great information. And I completely agree at Sophia, where I see patients, we um, have a fragrance free environment. And it's very um, obvious when uh, that role is either, um, you know, broken, because people don't have the awareness, or um, I've become, you know, I have a very strong sense of smell after not being around these things, you know, it's amazing when you hop into an Uber or go into a department store, it's amazing that people, you know, don't notice this when they're in that, that environment all the time. So, um, so no, that's a lot of great points, Diane. And, you know, moving from um, bad beauty products, which there's, of course, a lot of information you're going to continue to share via the non-toxic beauty summit, but also um, moving into the next category, which is uh, breast implants. And I know that you have a personal story and you've come out with a book, uh, Killer Breasts, Overcoming Breast Implant Illness. Um, this is a big topic. Um, there's more and more women, um, you know, uh, voicing, you know, their experience and um, their health impact from breast implants. But I would love to hear, you know, your journey on how you, um, you know, treated yourself for this because this is still... Um, you know, when I see patients and we have to go through this process, there's still a lot of um, fear and concerns and also not only picking the right surgeon, but also the right aftercare and detoxification support afterwards. But yeah, walk us through your experience and how you uh, recovered from breast implant illness. Oh, yeah, thanks for that. And I, and my heart that is now more exposed because it's not covered by two 500cc silicone breast implants. My heart is huge for all of the women going through this because it was the scariest, most lonely and overwhelming time of my life because there's not a formula out there. There's not a lot of information out there. In fact, you know, when you, when you're out in social media land and if you hear someone say, I just found out I had breast cancer, you know, you'll see several hundreds of comments of people with sympathy or empathy and offering help, compassion. Whereas with, with you're a woman like myself who says I have breast implant illness. What I, what I've heard a lot is that there's this element of shame and it's this element of, well, you did this to yourself. You know, you, you put these breast implants in. So you kind of, you kind of are asking for it. And that's not what we need in this culture. I mean, that our culture has been so socially, societally programmed to think that we're not enough, so we need to cut ourselves open. And in fact, so much so that they report that 90% of women who had breast implants have report greater confidence. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, you know, I'll say that I did experience that when I got mine um, done almost 10 years ago now. I did it when I was doing bikini competitions and I was also a pro soccer player before that. So being a runner, you know, when you went run a soccer play, a soccer game, it's like 11 miles in one game and one 90 minute match. So I was always pretty thin and uh, a lot of women, regardless of their frame, still have that pressure of, you know, you need these things in order to, I guess at some point compete with other women because this mm -hmm. is how you're quote unquote supposed to look right and, um, you know, the rap songs and the videos and things we see on TV and in magazines don't help. There's just mm -hmm. so much pressure. So I got mine done because I was 10% body fat and I thought I needed them because I heard that this is exactly what was programmed into me is you need to get them. If you want to win on the stage, you need to get them. If you want to be in the cover of oxygen magazine, and if you want to 
earn your pro card in this fitness industry, this is what you have to do. So I thought at first I resisted it. And I said, no, I love my body as it is. And eventually that weed that got planted inside of me grew into three months later, I was shopping for boobs. Mm -hmm. And that sounds so funny, but I was just walking around and looking at women going, well, what kind of boobs do I want? Do I Mm -hmm. want that shape or that shape? And I eventually found a surgeon and I work with a woman and she did a great job. And for 10 years, I carried these things around without paying rent and they, they, took life from my body. And I ended up experiencing uh, a lot of symptoms pretty immediately. So women were so intuitive. I mean, humans are so intuitive. Uh, And I, I, one of the things that I love to empower women to do is intuitive based healing Mm -hmm. to really learn how to listen to your body and, and decode what it's trying to say, this wisdom. And what was it? Nine years ago at this point, I was experiencing severe belly bloat and candida, um, which Mm. can surface in my mouth. I had candida. I just had candida symptoms where I had dandruff like crazy, uh, things eventually evolved and, and things got worse. Like I started noticing that my mood was off. Um, I started to get more exhausted. So this was really like the analogy of like a frog put into uh, a bucket of water and it was cold water at first. And I did feel a little bit you know, like someone heated up the water and I could feel, uh, the pressure and then the boiling happened farther and farther along, which is when typically they say, change your breast implants out about 10 years, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not everybody's taught that, but 10 years. And so the closer I got to that 10 year mark, the, the worse and worse my symptoms got, I eventually, you know, I was tracking these things over time, but I have been doing functional lab work and functional medicine lab work for about eight years now. And for six years, nothing got better. My parasites were my parasites. I don't want to own these things. The (laughs) parasites (laughs) that were taking residence in my body, they were still there. And candida never, never shifted. It was just still the same and high levels of bacteria. And this is the stool testing that that I was doing and different kinds of stool tests as it's evolved and improved over the years and got more advanced. Mm -hmm. And they were just the same, the same levels. And I noticed that I still had a lot of hormonal issues, primarily estrogen dominance, which breast implants are, as you know, estrogen. So I noticed that after tracking my symptoms for so long, I wasn't getting that much better And I had spent at this point about $100,000 plus on all the things that I've done as a health practitioner. I'm learning, I'm trying things out, I'm biohacking so that I can report back to clients like what might work and what might not. And I'd seen chiropractors because my spine alignment was getting worse. My ribs were moving out of place. I, that's when I really got to the point where I was like, I have to do something about this because my gut wasn't getting any less leaky according to my labs. I had mold-like symptoms. I had shocks um, traveling through my body, primarily across my chest. As I got closer to being um, to the point where I was really convinced it was my breast implants, I had nipple sensitivity to cold. I had really cold hands and feet, really bad circulation, which I'm still working to improve in my detox because I believe that everybody needs to do a good one or two years of cleansing after at a, at a pace that the body is ready for, because it's a lot of stress to carry these things around and everybody's different. Of course, my lymphatic system and Christina, I know you're such a fan of this. I learned so much from you in that interview we did that about the lymphatic system, my lymph, my lymph nodes under my armpits, underneath my chin and my throat and all around my inner thighs, they were, they were big. They, the one in my, under my armpit was so big that it was the size of a golf ball and I couldn't lift my arm. And I was in Bali when this happened and I was supposed to go scuba diving with the manta rays. And I was, you know, you could imagine your disappointment where like, Oh God, it's going to be hard to do. And I still did came up with an ear infection for two weeks thereafter. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was really, really, really sick. That's when I had like my major eye Um, puffiness, redness, irritation, my lymphatic system was screaming at me. I just did not know how to listen. And I had lots of inflammation. I had a lot of excess mucus going on. I eventually was getting brain fog and I've never experienced this in my life. I would, if I stood up, it felt like I was going to pass out. So I was having issues with my adrenals. I knew that and sensitivity to everything, sensitivity to light, to sound, 
to fragrances, of course, but that, like I said, could be a good thing, of course, could be your body speaking to you, or it could just be your body that's overwhelmed with even essential oils, like the, the real organic stuff. I started noticing my hair was thinning, that it was difficult to regenerate my skin, no matter what I was doing. Uh, my, the, the congestion in my ear, nose and throat was getting worse. And the sciatica I had going down my left leg was really bad. My back pain was not getting any better, even though I was seeing a chiropractor three times a week. And I've been seeing chiropractors mostly my whole life, you know, playing pro soccer. And what really got me was when I, was like, there was a few different things that got me. There was one, which is when I went and got, and this is where things really changed for me. And I was finally willing to admit it might be my breast implants. Cause I was still, I still had this, uh, it's not my breast implants because it's not my breasts that feel bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't making the connection and you know, that I like my boobs. And of course there's that fear of identity loss, right? Is who am I without my breast implants? And, um, I did a, I did a thermogram Mm -hmm. and my whole back and my front and specifically my right breast had lumps and it was red. And on that scan, that's an indication of major inflammation. And I just looked at my insides with that scan and I started crying Mm. and I was like, what have I done to myself? What, what am I doing? What does this mean? And that planted a seed. And then the next one was when I got my um, GI map back and I checked for secretory IgA, which is like this master marker looking at the status of our immune system. And, you know, a good number, a good robust number is like 1200. And mine was 44. Hmm. And that was the lowest I'd ever seen in any of my labs of any patient or any client that I've ever seen. And I've seen thousands of these labs. And I went, I am the sickest I've ever seen. I don't know how I got here, but I need to finally listen to my body and take my own advice and do something different here. So that's where the turning point really began. And I thought, no wonder why I can't get rid of the parasites. No wonder why I can't get rid of the candida. And then I had this other thought, well, and I've learned this from Klinghard, right? Is that parasites are there to mop up the mess of other things like Mm -hmm. heavy metals. And I was like, well, where are these heavy metals coming from? I removed my silver fillings in my mouth years ago, but oh, palm to forehead. I did not have it done by a holistic biological dentist about eight years ago. I had them all removed at once. And it was the same week I had my breast implants put in. So please, you guys listening to me, do not do what I did. (laughs) I'm here to also show you what not to do. But I thought, well, maybe there's some lingering mercury. But also when I found out that there were 30 plus uh, chemicals inside of breast implants, including heavy metals Mm -hmm. that eventually can slowly leak out over time as your body adapts to them. I thought there might be a constant stream of heavy metals emerging from these silicone filled things that I had no idea that were filled with that many toxins. And that's another moment came, (laughs) found myself crying at home by myself. And this is what was so hard is that I thought, who would understand this? This is not like breast cancer that everybody knows about. And that's when I started calling out for help from a part of myself that said, it's time to do something different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, you know, you're really not alone. And, you know, to be honest, when I work with women, I'm, I'm really actually quite surprised at how many women have breast implants. Um, You know, it's something that um, you know, again, at all the factors uh, and the societal pressures, as you share, you know, that, um, you know, we live in a culture that allow women to think, you know, it's perfectly okay to put this foreign material, you know, in your body without thinking about the long-term health effects. And so, no, I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, helping others. And so when you're talking about the health impacts of your breast implants, so um, we know that breast implants can be a source of Um, you know, it's a foreign material, right? So this can also be something that could potentially trigger autoimmunity in some women. I've seen that it can be a source of chemicals, heavy metals, 
Um, it can block your lymphatic system. And then overall, did you feel like, how did you see the breast implants affecting your gut health? Was it just kind of this overall stress on your immune system that allowed these other things to thrive? Or as you said, also the, um, you know, these um, in, internal toxicants that were allowing also these microbes to thrive. Did you um, have a sense of that connection? Because I've seen that often. I see the, the women who do have breast implants can have more candida or, um, you know, just dysbiosis in their gut. Um, what connection have you made, Diane, over the years looking at uh, these two things? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's so tricky, right, is that we can spend, you could spend literally millions of dollars on labs trying mm-hmm. to prove something. And um, and I've spent a lot of money already. And, I, and at some point, I just said, you know what, I need to listen to my intuition here and um, really ask my body what it's trying to say and, and tune in. And I went to a, a meditation one night and I just, I just saw, I saw um, the vision that I saw was there was barbed wire around my chest and it was like, I'm living in this plastic prison and, and this is the source of so many things that, that I'm experiencing. And I took all of that combined with the things that I'd been experiencing for years. I've been on that gut protocol and I had SIBO as well, a small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And so my gut was doing a lot of work to try to mop the, this mess up. And also Hashimoto's, I had Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, which is also related to parasites, which I also had, you know, for many years, especially blastocystic hominis. Mm-hmm. And so I had all these things I was tracking, but I was doing so much gut work to try to drudge out what was likely possibly in my gut. And I was bloated all the time. So back then it was probably about five years ago when I really went on a tear with coffee enemas and mm-hmm. um, learning how I could clean my gut out more than just taking probiotics, more than just taking, um, you know, antimicrobials, but really addressing it from a different layer and supporting my liver because there's so many things we talk about with genetics, but I don't really have the best genes that code for detoxification and digestion and hormonal um, repair. And also did Accutane when I was 16, oh no, sorry, I was 17, 18 years old in college. I took two rounds of that. Um, I forgot to mention earlier that when I was along this breast implant um, illness journey, it was three years prior to me really admitting that it could be my breast implants that I thought, well, maybe it's the IUD I have it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the you know, the proge- the synthetic progesterone I'm injecting with Depo-Provera for birth control. Maybe it's because I haven't had my period for six years because I've been on Depo-Provera. So I'll take the IUD out and I felt better. But then it was like the next thing happened. So it was, I've had many, many years of standard, you know, women things that I've done, Accutane, birth control. Um, I took medications for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. I eventually reversed that even when I had my breast implants and my antibodies went down and then breast implants and then Botox. And so I've just been through this journey of all these things. So it's really hard to say like which one of all these mm-hmm. things was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but during that, this 10 year period has a really been on this journey to understand what it was. My stomach has just always been bloated. It's just always been bloated. I've had chronic cancer symptoms for a long time, not realizing what it was and have been to several doctors, my surgeons, um, dentists, and just been like, what is this candida stuff I've got going on? Why are my lymph nodes swollen? Why does this, why do I have leukoplakia in my mouth? Cause I eventually researched this stuff online mm-hmm. and tried to understand like, what is this? What could these be symptoms of? And the best answers I got were like, do you know that one emoji with the arm shrug thing, the little girl, <laughs> girl, mm-hmm. the purple shirt that's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, that's what they said. I don't know. Maybe your body's just designed this way. And I'm like, maybe my body's designed that I'm supposed to look like a chipmunk with like two lymph fat lymph nodes swollen underneath my neck. I, yeah. I look like I'm sick all the time. <laughs> like, huh? Mm-hmm. So I correlated to my gut eventually because over four years, I was really cleaning out my gut and the things I saw come out of me during my coffee enemas I've done so much research trying to figure out what it was. Are they ropeworms? Are these parasites? Mm-hmm. Is this candida? I, I don't know what they are, but I eventually just had to start laughing at myself because I was going a little crazy looking at this stuff coming out of me going, I don't know what this is. And I still don't know exactly what it was, but toward the end, it was January before I removed my breast implants. This is January. It was a year ago, 2019. And I went to the bathroom and when, you know, when you look back and then I, something mm-hmm. strange came out of my toilet paper when I, when I wiped, and this is a little graphic, but I think it's important to know what's coming out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I wiped, there was this like long strand of, and you can feel it obviously. 
And I thought, well, what is this? Maybe I'm starting my period. And I looked at the toilet paper as this long strand of what looked like silicone. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. This is strange. Maybe I should send this into a lab. And then I thought, well, you know what I'll do? I'll put it in a little tray in my kitchen and I'll try to see if it decomposes. And it didn't decompose, which I thought, okay, it's then I guess it's not a worm. Um, maybe this is silicone and I still don't know, but I took a video of it because I thought, okay, I'm becoming the study. (laughs) We are all our own study, you know? Um, so when I don't know if it, if it was silicone, I just eventually started seeing that come out of me in large amounts. That was the time that my breasts were also extremely swollen. They were about a size E at that point. And I had D before like dog, E like elephant. I was so inflamed. I couldn't fit my clothing anymore. I had cap contracture, which is eventually how I got my insurance to pay for it. So that saved me $5,000. And these are the Mm. things I teach to my clients through this process. Um, is to not just take no for an answer by an insurance company because I think that we all deserve to be covered by this because we were not properly warned. Um, so eventually capsular contracture, which is the muscles around my breast and the, the, that capsule started to expand and cause a lot of inflammation. So that was the time where I started noticing a lot of this stuff coming out of me when I went to the bathroom and it was very disturbing. And it was also, again, like when you can't figure out the mystery of what's coming out of you, you get a little scared. Like, am I dying here? Cause that was really what changed for me was when I was sitting in my sauna and I felt these breast lumps on my right breast that I had seen in my thermography. And I went to the MRI session for my breasts and they said, yeah, we found some, you know, really large breasts in your, in your, uh, really large lumps in your breasts. That's what the report said. And I called and I said, well, what do I do about this? And they're like, we don't know. We don't know what they are. And I thought, so you guys just read these scans that there's things in there, but there's no support. And that made me very sad for women everywhere that I'm very persistent. I'm, I can figure things out. I'm very in tune with my body, but for the women that were not, wow, what are, what are they going to do with this? And then once I started really digging into the research and found the statistics that there's a high number of women that are taking their own lives because of how sick that they get Mm. and they can't find solutions. There's an increased risk for depression, which is exactly what I was at. They found that women with breast implants, uh, an increase in depression to be five to seven times more likely to be taking antidepressants, women who have implants than women without them. And then there's a three times higher risk uh, for to commit suicide as women that don't have breast implants. And this is the work of uh, a study that came out with over 100,000 women in 2018 from a Danish study. So I started seeing all of this going, okay, um, it's time for me to do something about this. And I still have yet to do a stool test to see if things have improved, but my stools, I I'm happy to report that my <laughs> stools now <laughs> are so much better. And I'm go, I'm pooping a lot more throughout the day. I'm releasing a lot more. And, uh, my most recent hormonal tests show that for the first time that I've ever seen in functional medicine labs that I've done, my ovaries are just kicking. They are yeah. kicking out hormones and healthy levels still a little bit of his estrogen dominance, but they are so healthy and so robust now. And, um, it's really hard to say what caused what it's very hard to test for these things. But what I look at is symptoms and what I've seen in my practice with women I've supported from, um, that what have being on the side of not having removed their implants to the other side, that these are all a lot of the same experiences that they've had as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, your story is a common one. And I thank you for being, you know, so vulnerable and sharing it. Right. And I, you know, I get pictures a lot in my practice of what comes out with coffee enemas. And it's this, you know, unfortunately, tests aren't there yet to identify, you know, all of these things that people um, are seeing in their stool when they do enemas or colonics. But, you know, there's just this very oversimplified, um, you know, understanding that when these things start to come out of your body, that people absolutely feel better. And there can be anything from parasitic infections to fungal overgrowth to just mucus to uh, biofilm that is coming out um, and, you know, probably much more. And so, um, no, I, I think that's um, important to share. And it's a great tool to really um, help support your organs of elimination and your detoxification pathways as you're, um, you know, going through something 
like you've gone through. And, and Diana, I know we probably could talk a lot about um, your breast implant um, illness journey and your recovery. And that's why you really created um, the book, right? And so I want to make sure yeah. we link to that if in case you're um, going through this yourself and still wanting to gather information. I mean, I think a big part of it is not only the knowing that you need to get this um, done and taken care of and how to recover, but also there's a lot of questions, right? On, okay, what will my breast look like um, when I get my implants removed, right? And so people yes. are, um, you know, that can be, um, you know, just bring up a lot of, um, yeah, fear. And, you know, this is supposed to be a health promoting thing. And the last thing we want is to people to feel uh, not confident in themselves and in their body from doing something that's going to promote their health. And so do you have maybe some um, you know, quick tips on how to navigate, you know, what, um, you know, what people can do that they feel good about their breasts after removal of the implants? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where I believe this to be the most neglected aspect of the journey of explant for women is, you know, we and I can speak to this because I also experienced this at one point in my life is the, you know, how pro athletes, when they no longer play in the limelight anymore, they go from pro athlete to not playing anymore. And they experience a pretty big identity crisis, right? And I experienced that as a professional soccer player. When I stopped playing, it was like, well, who am I without my performance? And who am I without my accolades? So it's the same thing that happens with women when they remove their breast implants, not all, you know, some of them have more of a drastic experience. But there's this there's this journey first of really uh, knowing that there is an identity crisis that occurs after we remove them. And it's like, wow, well, it's a pretty big change. And some women will get explant. Like this is what I did is I had mine removed. It's called an explant procedure. I had the capsule removed at the same time. And that's not always going to be the same for each person, but make sure you work with a solid surgeon that knows what they're doing there. Um, especially if you're getting your implants replaced uh, if that is what you end up doing, I wouldn't recommend it, but make sure they also remove the capsule as well, because that's like leaving a dead, you know, root canal in your mouth. So, um, I had mine removed. I also had, um, a lift because I had such large breasts, large synthetic breasts that, that it was pulling my nipples down. So they re-centered my nipples, which was a, a lift. It's called a lift. And then I also had what's called fat transfer, mm -hmm. which is when they essentially do cellulite or not cellulite, sorry, they liposuction. And they take fat from areas that they can harvest it from. Sounds so weird to say the word harvest, but you know, <laughs> um, like I'm a like I'm a garden or something. <laughs> and uh, and it, they took it from the inside of my thighs, that my my lower belly and my lower back. I didn't have that much fat. I was probably about 19% or so body fat when they did it. Um, and then eventually they moved that into your breasts. And so I went from a like a double DE to a 34C back to where I started. And, um, I love them. I'm, I'm happy about them. But it, one thing I would change is I know that the part that was the most painful for me was the fat transfer was the liposuction. That was so painful because imagine it's not just your breast, but they're taking it from all of those areas and prodding your body. Um, so I was really sore on my back where they took the fat from, and I only kept, I would say probably about 50% maybe of the fat that he put into my breast. Um, some different, some women are different. They keep a little bit more. Uh, sometimes the, the body will actually just break down more of it. And that also can cause, um, you know, lymphatic drainage, something I didn't do enough of, and it's hard to say how much you need to do after, but your, your breasts are large lymph nodes, obviously. And so it's really important to massage your breasts after. So these are things that are really, really important that if I could do it again, I would not do the fat transfer during that first surgery. I would mm -hmm. have just done a lift and an explant and then waited to see how I felt about my breasts and let them recover for six months. And then I would have possibly gone back in for explant or sorry for um, fat transfer. My rational my rationalization on that was that, well, I wouldn't have to pay for anesthesia twice. I would just get it all done at one time and I could do it with the same surgeon because what if I moved to a different place and it would just be easy. I would have someone caring for me only one time. Um, it would have you know, cost a lot more time and money and energy. However, I am seeing a lot of women that are really loving their body after just doing the explant and the lift. So, um, 
what I would recommend is that the fat transfer costs about $5,000, depending on the surgeon that you're working with. There are some surgeons that are doing fat transfers and it's costing a lot of money because they're harvesting a lot more fat and they're creating like, like double D's on women who originally had frames of A cups. Mm. I don't think that's a good idea because it's your spine wasn't designed to handle that much extra weight in that area. And I think it's just too extreme. So working with a doctor who knows what they're talking about there is really important. And I think that's kind of going too far. You can take that $5,000 instead of doing the fat transfer and you can really invest it in your health and your detoxification strategies because it is unknown how much silicone is in your body. It is unknown if you can even detox silicone from the body because it's a very, very uh, dense material. And it, it's also you know, very important to question how your hormones are are faring after you have them removed what's the status of your gut what is your body telling you that it needs test don't guess and then work with a practitioner who has what i say three things is experience working with people in this regard education on how to really look at the body holistically and how all of your parts are communicating to each other and all of the labs as well as empathy so a lot of people are working with practitioners who maybe hasn't even gone through this process and don't know the emotional implications of how difficult it can be to go through this and how to also talk to peers or parents or um, your partner about the journey that you're going in. So many women are so shameful about this process. They're like, nobody even knows I have breast implants or like maybe their partner does. And they don't want to talk about it openly because they're ashamed of themselves. And so they live in, they, they're hiding they're, they're, and that's just how much shame they're carrying around about this experience. And so this is, this is a journey for us all to heal these parts of ourselves when we heal like this and walk through this and we can tell ourselves the truth of the story that we go through. We're healing the world with this. We're healing mother nature. Because when I look at brother, mother nature, she has breast implants too. If you really think about <laughs> the plastic sea, you know, in the middle of the, the Pacific rim, it's like, wow, look, she's got breast implants too. <laughs> so it is, it was a very lonely journey for me because I didn't have anybody who understood this. And I, I just want every woman to feel supported. And if at the end of six months, you work with a practitioner and have rebuilt your body again, and really ask yourself the question, why did I get these things in the beginning and worked with what I call the mother wound is a lot of times in our childhood, it begins there. And this is a feeling of not enough and not having enough emotional um, attention from when we were a child, uh, maybe addictions, maybe alcoholism, maybe complete abandonment or negligence. Um, we might have concerns when we were a child about not feeling loved or approved of, and there might be difficulties on an emotional level where you feel like you didn't get enough support, or maybe your mom or your grandma said something to you like, oh, when you get older, you know, you'll get big boobs like the rest of your family. And then when you don't, you feel this pressure to get breast implants. I mean, there's so much there. There's a lot to unpack that there's many, many moving parts, hundreds with this whole process that I think if a woman really understood the whole thing, she can work with it and address all of them. Because when one gets missed, what I've found, Christine, is that oftentimes it's the women with a history of autoimmune disease or a medical history in their family, but not necessarily maybe them, but we know it takes 10 to 15 years to diagnose autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes they don't even know they have it and then maybe get breast implants. And that was like the environmental trigger that catalyzed uh, an autoimmune disease. And they're still not getting properly diagnosed. These are the women that are having a hard time recovering. And it's also women that you add on top of that, the Botox. And because a lot of women, the first question they ask after they get their breast implants is, what do you think about Botox? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, do we need to learn that lesson too? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other animal. It's the number one, most lethal toxin known to man and we're putting it in our bodies and it's not safe. So there's a lot, but the deepest emotional root to it is why do I feel like I need to keep altering my body and who is it for and who would I be without this? And, and instead, how can I find my confidence within myself so that I don't need to gain the approval of others because I've gained it for myself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so important, Diane, and thank you for sharing that. And of course, these are, you know, when we look at any physical symptom, we're always looking also at, you know, our unconscious beliefs and our emotional trauma and our vulnerabilities and our susceptibilities that allow, uh, not only from our perspective, kind of these, um, 
you know, illnesses to, or let me say it this way, because I want to be careful with my language and that, you know, these things can make us more vulnerable or susceptible, but um, healing these things can also make us, um, you know, so much more empowered and um, can really help us to resolve a deep rooted issue that really our physical body is allowing us uh, to see. So no, I, I think it's really important to see this interconnection and, um, and in wrapping up, um, you know, I know this is a big topic and we'll have people listen on the summit to learn more but just maybe a couple highlights of what you learned about why Botox is such a um, you know just such a um, not safe option for women um, who are um, looking to really look younger and everything. I mean, I think the exciting thing for me is there's so many other alternatives nowadays that work and really kind of not only um, make people look better, but also work with their skin to rebuild and restore and create healthier skin rather than mask um, things up. But what did you, what were a couple of pearls that you learned along the way about why we should avoid Botox injections? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. Thanks for asking the, <laughs> If we use logic, um, so I think that we've gotten a little bit left field with relying heavily on the science. Like, what does the science say? Well, the science and uh, Allergan, who is the main producer of breast implants and Botox, Allergan has done their fair research on this. And they're starting to realize because they've been sued many times that, okay, maybe we do need, we do need to do more research on this part so they don't continue to lose money. And Botox is, let's just look at it logically, it is the single most... And like I said before, um, toxic substance known to man, and it was used in uh, as a biological weapon in World War II and in the Gulf War. And what we see is that a lot of the symptoms of um, Gulf War illness are identical to Botox illness. And like, well, where does Botox illness, where did this whole, is this a diagnosis? Is this a ICD code that they use in medical practice? And, and no, but what's happening now is there's a lot of... Um, people talking about this is that the doctors or practitioners are actually diagnosing them with Botox illness. And what that is, is typically within, um, within 30 days, but usually within a couple of days, someone notices that they have some severe, severe reactions to it. And what I learned, Christine, is that the most severe reaction that is most commonly known is scratching your body and feeling like you have these feelings of bugs crawling under your skin and that is exactly what I felt when I had that massive red eye rash. And it was exactly what I felt not being able to sleep throughout the night. And when I tracked back my medical records, the three times I had Botox injections done, and that was specifically for cosmetic reasons. I did not do this for any medicinal reasons. I did it because I thought I needed to. And I live in Orange County and there's a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to, to, mm -hmm. to conform here. And there's Botox parties and there's, you know, you should do it. And hey, they look fine. They haven't reported any illnesses issues, but actually I know these women and they have, these have been friends of mine who actually recommended me to go and they were in and out of the ER, in and out of the emergency room for illnesses, but not connect, not just not making the connection. Right. So that's hindsight. And now that's 2020. And what I noticed is that I had the most severe symptoms of Botox illness and it was around the time where I thought it might, might, might be my breast implants. It had happened within 30 days after the Botox. And it also happened when I was detoxing, when I was, I just bought my sauna mm -hmm. and I had an infrared sauna at my house and I was all excited and I started using it. And then I started noticing I was getting worse. My illness was getting worse and I didn't know what it was. I still didn't know it was my breast implants then. That's when I was just changing up my eye care or my skincare routine and my cosmetics. What I recently learned literally in the last month is that you should absolutely be very mindful and not detox when after you've had a Botox injection mm. within 30 days, wow. because it can make the, it can make it spread. It can spread the poison throughout the body and make it worse. And it's been told, you know, even, even a month ago, you know, I was telling you I did PRP and even a month ago when I was in there getting PRP, the women at the, at the med spa were like, you should, here's what you should do. You should get Botox here and fillers there. And I'm like, no, I, I, I told you guys last time, I don't want to do any of that. And it was the third time. So I was a little annoyed that they weren't listening. And, and they said, but I, okay, I know you're, you're the, the organic queen. So let, there's an organic form of Botox and we can do that on you. And I'm like, I have, organic poison. It doesn't, 
I don't, I still don't understand. <laughs> and, and she's like, but it doesn't, sp-. I said, I, and I said, I have a question for you. Let's like, look at this logically. And, sh- and I said, how does it not spread? She said, well, it's designed that it can't leave and studies show. And I'm like, I don't understand. You put it here. It just stays there. Like our body's all connected. And she's like, no, it doesn't spread. But if you look at the full prescribing information on the actual label, the FDA had ob- obliged them to write on here. And I'm looking at this on my blog right now that we just released um, a podcast on this very topic. The um, post-marketing reports indicate that the effects of Botox in all botulinum toxin products may spread from the area of injection to produce symptoms consistent with botulinum toxin effects. Things like asthma, muscle weakness, ptosis, uh, dysphonia, and urinary continence, breathing difficulties, among many others. So it is known to travel throughout the body, to paralyze organs, to paralyze uh, the colon, to paralyze the heart, the lungs. And so now we're talking about people who are having some severe reactions. And I've just received several letters from people once they started really coming out with this, like I'm collecting data. And they sent me letters saying, please, Diane, please be a stand for us on this because so many of us are so sick that we can't even get out of bed. My 16-month-old baby, I just had them injected with Botox because they had an issue with with their with something with going with an anal fissure, I believe. Mm. And what they inject into people for medicinal reasons is 10 to 20 times higher dose than cosmetic reasons. And we're putting them in our babies. Another one, there was a 16-year-old quarterback um, male player, and they were using it for him for his headaches, and they injected him, and he could no longer play um couldn't play football anymore. In fact, he's in a big lawsuit now because of Botox. So Botox also contains, um, Dysport anyway, also contains human blood, human albumin and lactose. So these are things that are also not disclosed to us, especially if you're concerned about having other humans blood inside of your body. So these are things that are all not, not, not disclosed to us before we do them. And in fact, it is the, the true opposite they did a study too in 2016. There was only 16 people, but it was a four-year study on Botox and its effects. And they found that there was increased autoimmune syndrome reaction. Mm. And 75% of the patients had some kind of autoimmune marker or clinical symptom that was suggestive of immune activation at some time during the study. So they had all kinds of other things too. Like a third of the patients had increased risk of infections, uh, especially upper respiratory infections, pneumonia, uh, UTI, sinusitis. They also had uh, dormant diseases like herpes that came back out. And I can speak to this myself. This is what happened to me too. Sensitivity to food and medications. You know how earlier I was talking about sensitivity to things. Uh, Mm -hmm. That actually happens with like 62.5% of patients, especially to sounds, um, to coffee, to sugar, alcohol, which is pretty much the standard American diet today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and SSRIs as well. And steroids will either worsen the symptoms or ineffective. And that's when I was taking, you know, the prednisone, I was taking antihistamines, things were barely working. So I mean, this just keeps going on and on. I have 15 pages of data, studies, lawsuits, and, and patient symptoms that I collected. It took me quite some time. But once I put that all together, I thought, these are the, the common things that people are doing unknowingly. And even the more natural versions of it, like zeomycin, are also still causing uh, similar reactions. It may not be as bad because it doesn't have human blood in it, but it still will travel farther throughout the body. So there's so many pieces to this that I just don't believe that we need to do any of this to our body. There are alternatives to migraines. There are alternatives to anal fissures that are not going to cause these symptoms in you. And also the root of it all, I just created a little hashtag and I said, you know what? love my lines. Mm. I love my lines. I love my, my wrinkles, but working with someone like you can age gracefully, you know, Christine with all of your inventions. And then also love my lines, meaning like, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here. I'm going to draw a healthy boundary and start protecting my temple and not allowing these toxins anywhere close to my body or my baby or my brain or anything anymore, because I'm just going to go all natural, you know? gray hairs in for 20 year olds are starting to dye their hair gray. So maybe people will start tattooing wrinkles on in the next five years. I don't know. Things change. And that's the thing about the beauty industry, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, when I started pulling these articles up, the last thing I'll say is I, I found an article about Botox and I thought, wow, this is a heavy article about how it was used in, as a biological weapon. And that there's like 16,000 tons now or liters that could be enough to kill the entire world's population. And that's how much they have now left over from uh, some of the wars. And when I, when I put all of this together, I just thought the biggest route to all of this is just to love ourselves as we are. And that might be so difficult. Um, but 
if we start doing this as a, as a generation, as a society and love ourselves as we are and realize that there's a lot that is not being taught to us to trust our intuition, to realize that logic can outweigh science sometimes and to talk to other people um, about these things. And then also uh, there was a little study I f- or a little article I found about this. And when I sent it to my writer to put together a blog, she went to go find it and it was gone. And so things like this mm-hmm. are disappearing mm-hmm. um, perhaps off the internet and can't be found. So just know that there's, you know, warriors like Christine and myself who are really doing the digging for the research that once was there or maybe is being hidden um, and, and listen to your intuition and listen to other people who are being harmed by this and just use your logic. Like if something is that toxic, I don't know how it made it into our face, but I know it's definitely part of the cultural conditioning to this whole narrative that we're not enough. Mm-hmm. And the more that we believe that we are, the less we need these things. And we'll take care of our bodies and go to organic places like yours, organic med spas. We need you to du- duplicate this <laughs> everywhere and have them franchised. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Christine, please. <laughs> just, an- just another project, right? Oh, no, I no, but I, I completely agree in that vision, you know, whether myself or others come together to do that. But no, Diane, this was such a powerful um, interview and so much information. And I know that your message is getting to, you know, women out there who resonate it uh, with with this and really need to hear this. And so I appreciate you helping me educate people so I don't have to do some of the heavy lifting on my own. It's really um, hard to tell people to uh, remove their breast implants because I understand, you know, surgical procedures and, you know, all of that um, that has to be you don't consider it, but it's so, so important. And I just really um, appreciate all your work that you're doing and the experience that you've had and share with us. And um, where can people find more about you and your work? You work with clients, right? So you work with clients one-on-one. So tell us how people can work with you and then all the other wonderful things you have in the works right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the book that will be coming out very soon, and you can link that, um, that will be the book that I've written on breast implant illness and overcoming it. And it's so hard to put all of that in one book. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to take a whole experience that will be called killer breasts, uh, overcoming breast implant illness. And then my website is dianekazer.com, D I A N E K A Z like zebra E R. And then from there, there's many different links to many different things like my social media streams. You can read my blog. You can actually see pictures of my boobies. <laughs> I put, um, you know, that my, my boobs before I put little flowers over them, you know, so you could see, I was really scared to remove mine because I didn't know how they would look after, but I, I, I wanted to make sure that you guys can see how beautiful they are. They can be after, um, if you did it, you know, different kinds of procedures and I covered them with little flowers. So you could at least see the shapes of them and realize that, um, our breasts are beautiful after, and some, there's other women I've shared too on there who've, um, authorized permission. And then you can also, there's a, a couple of videos on there, um, that I will lead you through. We have a five step model that we take our women through as far as if they wanted to work with us. Uh, there are things, or just, if you want to educate yourself, I've been told that it was like one of the most powerful hours they've ever experienced on the five, um, steps to take. If you're just not feeling yourself on hormonal chaos, digestive issues, and breast implant illness specifically, there's two different videos on that home screen that you will see that you can listen to. If you're a woman with breast implants, it'll be a different video. Uh, if you're someone who does not have breast implants, but has a lot of other issues, because sometimes women who have breast implants, uh, illness have the same symptoms as someone who doesn't even have breast implants because of other chemicals or beauty toxins that they are exposed to. So, um, it's difficult to pinpoint, but that's why I do what I do and the work that I do with women, because we look at all of it. So that's where they can find me. And that's where I would direct them to. And if you are interested in working with me, you can email us from there or schedule an appointment. And then the last thing is the summit. And that would be to follow Christine's link that she'll share here too in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Diane, for your time and your energy and all that you're sharing with us. And I'm so excited for people to hear this interview. So thank you so much. Me too. Thanks for having me, Christine. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Diane and please check out her summit, the Non-Toxic Beauty Summit, where you can find a link in the show notes. Please also check out her website and her new book, Killer Breasts. And on the topic of non-toxic beauty, I don't know if you know that I launched an organic skincare line this past year. It's called Loom V Enlightened Skincare. I'm so proud of these products in this line and I'm looking forward to sharing these with each of you. So check out lumvi, L-U-M-V-I skincare.com. Thank you.